There was a stage last evening and I was wondering, what have I taken on with this topic? It seemed to make such good sense when I was planning the series on revival and renewal. And uh, the question was, it's such a big topic. I'm going to have to be seriously disciplined because each of the slides that comes up could be a whole series in its own right. So I'm going to try and attempt a big picture uh, answer to where does the whole desire to find life, life in its fullness, fit within our desire to seek spiritual renewal and revival. It does raise those realities of life. Sometimes when uh, I reflect on what do I understand is the purpose of life, my answer is life is. It is what it is. It comes. We can't pre-plan it and lock it down and hand it over. This is the plan it's going to be. We take it as it comes and it often takes directions that we hadn't anticipated. But if we were to raise the questions around what are the, uh, the challenges of life, the things that sit with us, we get something like these questions about work, family, journey, health, money, all those different types of realities that we seek to work with. I can tell you when I was doing some Google searches for graphics last night, there was an amazing range of uh, memes and advice that came out. I've actually uh, did select a couple of them. One of them is uh, this one by Simone Weil, who was a uh, French philosopher in the early part of the 20th century. Um, Simone Weil's uh, insight was that it isn't always what it is conveyed to be in novels, in fantasy, in stories, in movies, in all those different types of media. She was in the first half of the 20th century, so the the movies are only just getting underway towards the end of her life. But I thought this was actually quite an interesting insight. Imaginary evil is romantic and varied. Made it to be fun, exciting, a bit naughty. Real evil is gloomy, monotonous, barren, boring. In other words, it is denying life. Imaginary good is often portrayed as boring. But real good is always new, marvellous, intoxicating. That's a really interesting quote. And she was on a journey herself as she was exploring the spiritual dimension of life um, as she uh, um, continued to live in the growth of uh, Nazi Germany as a backdrop. The other quote amongst many that I selected that I thought rather liked, I haven't checked the actual source of this, so uh, you can go away and work out whether it's actually used like a quote from William Shakespeare or not. Um, But Shakespeare says, The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And that, I think, also correlates quite well with our Christian understanding of life. I have resisted going for the umpteen other quotes and memes that were assailing my screen as I was looking around for quotes on life last night. Quite a few of them. We have to ask ourselves the question, what are the perceptions of the Christian faith in the wider community when it comes to life? And again, I did a quick Google search and lots of lists came up of perceptions about the church, about Christians, about 
uh, failures and all different types of things. Um, various surveys that shows that actually there's, for those who live out their faith, there's still a robust sense of uh, people who care, people who are trying to do what is good. But the one I came up with is, I think, a more honest answer in some ways. It's not antagonistic against the church, not having to have a shot at it, but it's more this type of response. Keep calm and please go get a life. People's perception is that we are so intense about things. I remember a number of years ago, uh, Fiona and I... um, had contact with an English evangelist who was then quite a young young man called J. John, um, it's a Greek Cypriot Cockney evangelist uh, who's still very active. He's an amazing guy. Um, and he was doing a mission through our church in Wollongong. Uh, but he also went down to another neighbouring church that was um, uh, not as large a church, but uh, he was trying to get around to various different churches before he had the wider public missions. And when he came back from the Sunday with them and he said... So we asked them, you know, how did you find them? And he said, oh, I was just amazed at their deep joy. Now, this was a, re- a reformed, reformed, reformed type of Presbyterian church. And I think few of us would ever have associated great abundant joy with this particular church because everything was so serious. So I said, really? He said, oh, Their joy was so, 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 so deep, no one could even see it. (laughs) And I thought, yeah. We will be exploring in uh, coming times um, through some of the teaching courses on evangelism and witnessing. And it's often asking the question, how can we start the conversation? How can we convey the message? And I'll be suggesting it that is that that's actually the wrong question. It's not so much how can we start the conversation, how can we listen and hear the conversation that's occurring all around us and earn the right to begin to, to speak and to contribute to it. But we do have to ask ourselves the question of do we as a church, the Anglican church, Matthews, the church more broadly, convey a sense that this is life, it is good, it's joyous. One of the things that I've observed in my multicultural ministry, there's only been a little bit of it, and I've had a fortune to do a little bit of travel overseas, is that in the, the Western church, and especially the more Eurocentric churches that come out of the, uh, the Lutheran and the um, Anglo-Saxon traditions, we've, we are rather reserved. Um, it was interesting that the... the, uh, the the name that was given for the revival within the Anglican Church initially under the Wesleys, John and Charles Wesleys, that they called them enthusiasts. And that was a put-down. We're not really into enthusiasm. We're Anglicans. And there is a sense in which we lose that. And when you go to some of the uh, majority world churches living in the most meagre of circumstances and with far fewer resources that we have, in South Sudan where they go and plant a new church, they literally go under a tree. But they have such an exuberance in life, such a joy 
That's why their services take so long. Leaders can't stop dancing. What is it about our appreciation of the gospel that we've made very sombre? Now, the big, serious questions of life and of salvation. Don't misunderstand me. But we need to embody that in a way which actually embraces life rather than think the more you do without. There's a sense in which if I was to become a Christian, I've got to give up living. I've got to stop this and this and I've got to stop doing that and everything else. Rather than I've set aside the things that are actually a bit of a dead end and waste of time and I'll embrace that which is good and right. We live in a world where there's a battle for our hearts, our loyalty, our custom. The desire for our custom comes in the form of loyalty cards. How many loyalty cards do you have in need? I cover all my bases, so basically any shop I go into, I've got a loyalty card. (laughs) But it's a bit of a battle to say, you really need us and what we're offering. And those voices are all around us. And to be honest, they can be overwhelming. It is in that context that we hear these words from Isaiah 55, our series of seeking renewal and revival in life itself. Revival really means to rediscover life, to re-experience life. Come, all who are thirsty. It does raise the questions around where do we go to meet those deeper needs that you cannot buy off a shelf, that don't come prepackaged. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. I think we'll have a song later. I was pretty confident we would have that song later <laughs> in our service. Uh, you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, because it doesn't cost anything. This isn't part of that whole market-driven economy that says that if your goal in life is to earn as much money so you can buy the, those extra products, this is freely available. And it is life. So we're going to explore that a bit further. Why spend money on what is not bread, your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. Come, come here and come to me. Listen that you may live. These words were written some two and a half thousand years ago. But they are as true and as relevant today as at any time. It is freely available if we know where to look. If we know what we're looking out for. But we do need to ask ourselves, and this could be a whole sermon, it could be a whole series in its own right, around what sort of diet do we feed ourselves for our desire to live? What is it that we are consuming and filling our heads and our appetites with? And is it really satisfying? The passage goes on, it's a wonderful Verses. This is one of those ones that uh, have stood out. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. That opportunity to seek can come to an end. It can come to a moment where we've said, 
no, actually we had a chance where we could have explored those questions and we could have gone deeper, but got distracted. Why is it that some people drift away from faith? For some it's an issue, it's something that's caused real angst. But more often than not, I suspect, it's just that gradual, it slips lower and lower and lower in priorities. We just find other things to busy ourselves with. But at the end of the day, we find they don't satisfy. The passage concludes, or this part of it, where God says, if you want to know what life is, I know what life is. And it is beyond your imagination. It is so much bigger than anything you or any marketing firm or any market-driven type of commodity can, can offer. That is nothing. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts than your thoughts. But let me draw you into that. And so we have an invitation. And as we gather as a church, week by week, whether it's our gatherings and our services or whether we gather in small groups and home groups or in various different activities and projects, each of them is part of a, a wider picture. Our worship, our ministry of the word, our spirit-inspired imagination is giving us a foretaste of heaven. Heaven as the present reality, not just what lies ahead, but what is higher than this, the heavens and the earth, that greater reality of God's dwelling place, God's presence, God's city. Let me tell you a story. And it's a story that I really want you to pay attention to. And it's a story where we need to start at the beginning to really understand the story. You ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the story of the Bible. That is the story of the great narrative about life and where we find ourselves in that space. That is why we read God's word and we allow the spirit to open our minds and our imaginations as we enter into it. For in that story we find the source of life. It wasn't an accident. It didn't just happen as an obscure, highly unlikely, mathematically and nearly impossible chance. It had purpose. It has design. This story tells us how to go about life how the maker intends it to be used, to be embraced, to be lived into. It tells us what really matters in life, about themes of justice and mercy and living rightly with our neighbours, with those that we gather and those who are further afield. It tells us the themes of love and grace. This is not a narrative to fear, but a narrative to find hope and meaning. This is what life is about. It's a story that tells us the way, the way to follow. Now, the paths that we follow are many and varied, but who we follow, who knows the way, 
is absolutely front and center and is revealed. There is no mystery behind the way, the one whom God has sent to lead us in the way. It's a story that tells us the goal, the true destination of life. As I looked up the various Google pictures around life, meaning of life, some of them had this long time frame. Birth, childhood, toddlers, teenagers, goes right through. Getting a bit older, getting seriously older. And you can imagine what's the end of the picture, the end of the line. I thought that's too bleak <laughs> to put that picture up. But there is more to that. This narrative tells us that even as our physical bodies get older and begin to groan and complain a wee bit more, says someone who did some sailing yesterday and discovered some muscles I'd forgotten that I had, our spirits get stronger. Paul says, I'm not getting older. My spirit is getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, my body's wearing out a little bit, but that's okay. It's going to be exchanged. But I'm getting more and more life. Life as God intends it to be. And last year, we did have a whole sermon series on this one point. Shalom. Remember that one keynote slide for those who weren't around last year. Um, This is what we had a long time focusing on. God's mission plan revealed. Shalom. This wonderful Hebrew word, sometimes translated as peace, but it's so much more than peace. It's the whole basket of of God's purpose in life. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. Shakespeare got it right. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and saviour opens doors and welcome creatures, all creation, in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And God invites us to enter into that shalom, that quality of peace and flourishing and growth and wholeness. I could stare at this picture for hours. Doesn't it say so much? I love the younger ones. Most direct. The older ones sort of saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Their attentiveness, their ears are tuned, their eyes are fixed. They are not looking at a stranger. If they were looking at a stranger, you would see their rear rear sides running away in the opposite direction. You ever try to go into a, a, a field with sheep in it and you're not known to them? They will be wherever they can be away from you as it goes those who they trust are the shepherd in our second reading Jesus is talking about good and bad shepherds he says that you have been subject to some bad shepherds speaking to the sheep the people of Israel who have led you astray they've actually sought their own well-being they have been thieves I am the true shepherd Now, in the ancient world, shepherding was very different from what it is in Australia and even New Zealand, strangely enough. You can 
spend some wonderful time looking at the capacity of collies rounding up a flock of sheep as they run around and they crouch down and they get the sheep going into the right corner. Our dog, Abby, has a spirit of that at night in the house that she rounds us up, literally. If we get up at the wrong time and she's still sleeping, she barks at us. Sit down, go back. This shepherding is through trust. These sheep trust the shepherd. When the shepherd calls their name and leads them through the doorway, they follow. We are the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. We seek his voice and trust that he is the good, trustworthy, faithful sheep, a shepherd who will lead the sheep into the pastures of abundance. The conclusion, Jesus says, the thief that does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy have nothing to do with them. I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. It comes in the form of an invitation from God. As we receive, embrace and live that out in all the different seasons and realities and moments of life, we're not all gifted as evangelists. We don't all need to go out there and to start the conversations and to be able to... to that's a particular gift that some, some of God's people have. But we're all called to be witnesses. And we witness by embracing life, seeing God at work in our life, trusting God for all the different circumstances and seasons of life. And when people ask us, how do you cope? How do you manage to do it? Then at times we may be able to answer, I can't, but I trust the Lord who's enabled us. That is why God wants to use us as, for many cases, the only Bible that people in the wider community will see or encounter is us as we seek to give expression to it. But that is such a powerful thing that we are all able to do. Amen.